this is Dr. Lewis Blevins of Pituitary World News, podcasting from Northern California. Today I'm bringing you another one of our musings podcasts. This is a podcast that's more oriented towards physicians, but might be of uh, interest to patients as well. I wanted to talk about a patient that had a pituitary lesion known as a hemangioperisatoma that was invasive into the right cavernous sinus and right sphenoid sinus. She underwent surgery followed by proton beam radiotherapy. Her radiotherapy was completed in 2006. She first saw me a couple of years ago for evaluation and uh, was found to have growth hormone deficiency. She was also treated with uh, estrogens for her central hypogonadism. It took a while to get the testing accomplished and then to get her on growth hormone and she's been on treatment probably about a year, year and a half now. Uh, Her IGF-1 is 191. Even though she's a number of years out past radiotherapy and I typically wouldn't expect the development of hypopituitarism this many years out, uh, I follow patients because I see occasional patients develop additional deficits uh, in a delayed fashion. Generally, I think of 10 years as the time to follow such patients with the proton beam radiotherapy. However, I felt like I should just follow her long term. A couple of interesting points. One is that she told me that she was recently diagnosed with osteoporosis and her physician wanted to treat her with uh, one of the, quote, osteoporosis medications, close quote, and she wanted my opinion about that fact. I felt it would be too soon to start treatment in a woman in her 30s for osteoporosis with those medications. But more importantly, when we start growth hormone in a patient, you'll see a decline in bone density in that first 6 to 12 months. And it takes another year for the bone density to come back to the baseline And then you start to see the gains in bone density after that point. You can see up to 12 to 15% increases in bone mineral density after the first five years or so of therapy. So my recommendation was to not start any specific medications for osteoporosis, but instead let's follow the bone density while she's taking growth hormone and her estrogens, and she should maintain an appropriate calcium and vitamin D intake. The second point I want to make about her care is that she'd complained of some fatigue and diminished energy. Her thyroid function showed that her free T3 was in a low part of the normal range, as was her free T4. Uh, The T3 measured 2.8 and her free T4 0.9. The TSH was 4.85. So how do you interpret these results in a patient with a history of pituitary disease, radiotherapy, surgery, Uh, who has low normal T4 and T3 levels and a TSH of 4.85 in the setting of having fatigue. Well, the first thing you do is look back at old results and her prior uh, T4 levels were 1.4 and 1.5. T3 levels were in the mid threes to four. So clearly she appears to be developing some mild central hypothyroidism. Even though her levels are normal, they're much lower than they were beforehand. So I elected to treat her with thyroid medications. I wanted to share this story with you just because I think those are two important caveats of therapy in patients with pituitary disorders, namely that growth hormone replacement can result in a decline in bone density in the first year, 
you get back to baseline by year two, and then you can see significant increases over time. And the second being that a patient who has symptoms of hypothyroidism and low normal thyroid functions and a decline in thyroid functions over time probably should be treated with thyroxin. The other important thing to mention here is that her TSH level had risen from about 1.5 to 4.85. About 10 to 15% of patients who have central hypothyroidism will have slight elevations in TSH, but this is a, a dysfunctional uh, molecule of TSH. It's probably not properly glycosylated, maybe not even combined properly with the alpha subunit. We don't know anything about the function. The TSH molecule is detected immunologically. It's the, the beta subunit but we don't know if the post-translational modifications and all of that to make sure that the molecule is active have been done properly. There's evidence to suggest that this is impaired in patients with central hypothyroidism. Further, uh, the area under the curve or the mass of TSH secreted throughout the day may be lower in these patients as well. So that's it for today. Uh, once again, Dr. Lewis Blevins, Pituitary World News. Thanks for listening. Have a great day. This is Jorge Fascinetti, co-founder of Pituitary World News. Thank you very much for listening. Please send us your comments and suggestions for content. And contact us if you have an interesting case you would like to share. Pituitary World News is a non-profit organization supported by a variety of institutions and by people like you who support our mission to inform and educate the world about pituitary disease. If you'd like to help us out, please go to pituitaryworldnews.org and click on Donate. Thank you.